Hello, and welcome to a special presentation of Harper Audio Presents, recorded at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Winter Institute is a gathering of independent booksellers, publishers, and authors. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is... Jody Lynn Anderson. My book is Midnight at the Electric. It's Harper Teen, and the hub date is June 2017. Jody Lynn Anderson is the New York Times bestselling author of Peaches, Tiger Lily, and the popular Maybird trilogy. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina, with her husband, her son, and an endless parade of stray pets. It's a book about connections between um, these people who have no reason to be connected. They live in three different time periods. Um, one's in 1911, another's in the Dust Bowl in the 30s, and, and then one is in the future in 2065. Um, but they all, are all very uh, linked, both by this really long-lived tortoise who um, is sort of plays into all three stories and then also uh, there are these ways that they've influenced each other's lives that uh, that's part of the mystery of the book. You build these three distinct worlds and then of course you relate them and, and you did it so deftly. It, it really mm, was, thank you. was remarkable the way we, you, we could so easily move in and out and you had sort of the the common thread of of hope and fate, you know, how does mm-hmm. what does fate do or not do, and mm-hmm. and what can hope provide and and not provide? I, I thought was mm-hmm. was really very successful. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know, I I like to write about magic in some shape or form, and I think that um, the the ideas in this book of um, how our choices affect our fates and how uh, faith plays into certain 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 of the narratives in the story as well. Um, there's just a, a magic to that that I think is, um, I like to write about magic that's very realistic. And I think that that was a constant thread while writing this book. Actually, the first image that I had in my mind for this book and the, the impetus for beginning working on the story was just this idea of this this girl um, living in the Dust Bowl and standing in her yard and everything's been sort of stripped away from her, but there is this sense of magic surrounding her. And in, in her case, in this is Catherine's story, it's about um, whether she should buy into this belief about the electric, which is this this fair... Um, this this show at this at this sort of uh, carnival that um, promises to give you this ability to live forever if you if you pay five dollars and touch the magical mm. glass mm-hmm. globe, um, and I wanted that sort of sense of magic to 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 sort of pervade her story and 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 thread through what she actually ends up. Her hope is really what she ends up clinging to more than this sort of superstitious. Uh, belief about this this magical ball. So tell us about your two other um, protagonists, Lenore. Mm. Tell start with Lenore. Yeah, I mean, each character is um, sort of at a crossroads and having to make some choices. And for Lenore, Lenore is um, sort of unable to face the grief that she feels for her brother who um, has, has died in World War I. And she just 
feels like you have to sort of move on and you can't let yourself sort of sink into that weakness um, of grief. And when she meets this dis- disfigured stranger in the woods who's living at this cottage, um, sort of hidden out of sight, they form a friendship and um, and it, that friendship sort of brings her to this uncomfortable place where she has to face this this grief um, for her brother. And meanwhile, all of this is being relayed through letters to her friend in America who she has this plan to one day move across the sea to, to she wants to be near her friend. Um, and she's, so she's relaying all of this in her letters, but she's not hearing back and she's starting to question, was this friendship really as strong as she thought it was? Um, and so she has to decide whether she's going to follow through with this plan to um, move to America or not. Um, and then the other story is um, Audrey, who's in 20, living in 2065. And um, she's about to embark on a, on a big adventure. She's going to be one of the early settlers on Mars. And she's sort of worked all of her young life to be able to do that. Um, but she's in the mean, while she's waiting for launch, um, she's temporarily living with this elderly cousin who um, is slowly losing her memories because of dementia. And um, she's sort of forming this attachment to this woman um, who even if um, she did stay on earth, uh, if even if Audrey did stay on earth, she would eventually not remember her. And um, so Audrey sort of has to make some choices too as to um, whether she's willing to be attached and, and, and whether she should really take the leap to leave her home planet behind or not. And mm. what drew you to this idea of both two different time periods and then a time period in the future? Well, you know, 2065 yeah. is, is so unusual. I, I mean, it's, it feels entirely natural. And you read many books that go back and forth between two time frames, and it mm-hmm. involves a certain amount of research and you know reliability. And then you add this third, which <laughs> is just completely based on imagination. I mean, it was yeah. just fascinating to me. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it the the story that's set in the future it all sort of ties back to this idea that. Um, Audrey is is sort of living living in in the the time that her ancestors have have created. We all sort of have an effect on what we leave behind and um in terms of both beautiful innovative things and also the messes we make. And so that idea that Audrey would be living in the future came out of this idea of what if you have this person who's holding the previous generation, her co- her elderly cousin responsible for um, climate change, all these things that she's dealing with that have sort of led to her choice to be one of the people who goes to Mars. And she's sort of begins this, her, her narrative sort of blaming this Lily, is the woman's name, for all of these ills. But there's sort of this thread throughout all three stories that a lot of the messes that we make are not because we're bad people or we were intentionally make bad choices, but because we are um, 
not paying attention or we're apathetic or we're, we're wrapped up in our own stories. And um, so that's, the, the, or Audrey sort of comes to have some empathy for that and to recognize that she too has that potential to mm. either, um, to, to create messes that she didn't intend to. Mm. And what, what does she do about that? Yeah, it's highly distinctive, I, I, I think in, in that regard. And so I wonder who who are your first readers? Who do you give your pages to that that you trust with um, those early drafts? Yeah, I mean, really, my husband um, is my first reader, and that's it. I'm um, very private with my writing, and it took a long time to even come to that point with him. And he is a really tough critic. He's he's probably my toughest critic, um, very in a very loving way, but he will tell me like it is and um and what's his profession he works in human rights but he did major in poetry <laughs> so he has the, the bug um i'm my toughest critic i'll take his worst criticism and then double it and that's my revision that'll be my revision and that'll be you know that'll bring me to the draft that i turn into my editor right um, right so it's interesting how many authors volunteer that the person that they show it to first is their toughest critic. That's that's what mm. that's what you hope for. Yeah. You want that yeah. that honest assessment that'll keep you uh, keep you on your way. Yeah, it's real. It's so brave of him to do it because it's um, it's painful for him to have to tell me what's wrong yeah. with with my stuff. And um, he still he's generous enough to to be honest, and I really appreciate that. Now, what, how many books have you written previously? Um, probably seven. Mm. Um, I did a trilogy, fantasy trilogy for uh, that's middle grade, and then I've done um, a few YA novels as well. And how has writing this book changed you? Um, I think this book. I mean, this book was new for me because it came from this place of I feel like I have something I need to say or express, and then I I want to. I know that somebody also needs to read it, so I need to. <laughs> You know, bring bring what I need to say together with what will someone want to read, and I sort of try to fit those two together. Whereas with this book, it was more about what do I, what would I love to read. I, I sort of came from it from that place, and um, and it just it has some elements that I really gravitate t- toward as a reader. Um, like what? Like uh, I like things that are kind of structurally interesting, mm-hmm. books that are. Mm-hmm. Uh, structured in a in a d- unique way Off-beat and um, kind of way, yeah. Yeah, and I like um, flawed characters a lot, and I like um, I like talking about time and um, just that time passing is a really central um, piece of texture in the book. That's something yeah. that I'm really interested in, and and mystery. I think there's a lot of the mystery is what sort of drives this story. It's the thrust of the story, and. Um, and I tend to really love that in books I read as yeah. well. Yeah. So. All right, I want to ask you a few um, general questions. That I'm, I've sort of taken the Proust questionnaire and I've added, as a writer, the, the way that you sometimes open up your fortune cookies and add in bed. Oh, okay. So, what is the Proust questionnaire? Yeah, you you'll, you'll, oh. re, you'll research it later. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. Okay. Um, what is your most marked characteristic as a writer? Um, I... I think it's taken me a long time to come to this, but I think it is this idea of magic as something, a, a realistic type of magic. That's that's sort of how I perceive the world. 
and trying to express that as honestly as I can is really important to me as a writer. And what natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? I'd say the ability to organize. Um, I think I'm an extremely chaotic writer and it creates a lot of mess and I think I probably take three times as long to do things as I need to do because I, I can't even write a straight sentence on a notebook. It's got to be diagonal or upside. It's just, really? I, that's just, my brain yeah, so how is does not it, organized. How does that manifest? So you you certainly don't, you're not making, um, you're not making arcs, story arcs, I guess then, huh? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, my book folder on my laptop will be a hundred different documents of random stuff that I've sort of tried to categorize and but it I veer off course and so you know several times during my writing process I have to just suck it up and lay everything out and cobble everything to re, cobble everything together where it needs to go um and it's it's a it's like doing your ta- taxes it's it's awful <laughs> do you think that's the result of sort of having to squeeze in the writing time or with other parts of your life? Or do you think that that's just simply the way your process is? And even if you had all the time in the world, that's exactly how you would behave. Yeah, no, I think that it's, I, I don't have a, it's my, it's just the way I'm hardwired. I don't have a linear, yeah. I, I. Interesting. You and know, has, is it that yeah. way with everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, my husband teases me that there could be, you know, a, a dead body in the middle of our <laughs> living room and I, I wouldn't notice. And it's true, like I, I'm, I'm all I'm often all over the place in my mind, but not the logical place, um, which I think for creativity can yeah. be really nice, but um, for taming that creativity and st- into some sort of structure and um, something that someone else would want to read is that's the part that um, I really have to work at a yeah. lot. Yeah, and, interesting. Um, yeah. When and where are you the most happiest as a writer? Um. I think it. I think. I, I think it's probably this way for most writers. I, I, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I think like a lot of times in uh, in the writing process, you're sort of you've got this idea or this thing you want to express, and you have to stay on this straight path to get there. And it is so incredibly easy to veer off into what you know, what you already know, what what's happened in other books you've read. You're always being pulled away from that thing that you really needed to write and express. And so the moments that are really amazing as a writer are when I feel like I arrive at that station where I've managed to like stay on the track and get to this one little place where it it feels exactly like what the the vision for it was. That's like an incredibly satisfying, exciting feeling. Yeah. What are your favorite names as a writer? Names, like, names, character names <laughs> um, that exist in my books, or exist, that just that you read. Hmm. It's kind of a weirdly vague question. You can, <laughs> one that can be interpreted in many ways. It's funny because I keep on my phone. I keep a list of my favorite names. There you go. So tell us a little more <laughs> um, about that. I mean, uh, gosh, no, I'm not going to remember them. But you don't have to name them. But what yeah. what what inspired you to do that? And how long have you been doing that? And where do you find them? Um, I mean, I always have like 
five more secret children that I'm <laughs> going to be having in my mind, even though I'm 41, that's probably not going to be happening. Um, maybe one or two more, hopefully. But um, I think I just, uh, yeah, I mean, every name that, it, every name has a, has a, a style to it and a, it says something and it's really fun to sort of, and first names and middle names, I love to just sort of play with those and how they go together and, yeah, I'm trying to think of some that I really love. Uh, and Kitty Pepper is my my next fictional child that is going to be named Kitty Pepper. Um, have you ever written a draft where your protagonist or your one of your strong secondary characters is named one thing and then you've decided it has to be changed? Yeah, that, I mean, it almost always. Because it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really hard because it's almost like that name exists. It's almost like they already have that the okay. right name and somewhere, like sort of and if I can just find, to you. find it, yeah. And so it, I end up just cycling through so many names that I just think that's not right, that's not right, and then eventually hit on the one that is like, okay. That's, Do you ever forget, like, oh, I started with this name, I kind of sort of changed it, now I got to go back and redo it all? Or? No, I think once once they find their right name, I think that sticks. Yeah. 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 What is your motto as a writer? Like authenticity um, about the way people are. And I think it's really important for me to write about what the flaws we're capable of of having. Like to to have my characters not looking somewhere else, but not being the the one hundred percent good guy and looking somewhere else and seeing the person who's wrong, but instead um that my characters have have their own deep flaws that, that they have to sort of confront and um, deal with. So tell us about your relationship with independent bookstores. Do you have a story of a particular time in your life where you went and visited one regularly or that you've, just anything that's sort of meaningful to you around um, independent stores? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I um, of course, grew up going to bookstores a ton, um, just escaping to bookstores. Um, I think, you know, the first time, I, I'm really embarrassed because I think this bookstore has long since closed. It was in um, Roswell, Georgia, um, but it was a small bookstore and it was the first time I had seen uh, one of my books um, actually in a store. And um, What was the name of it? Do you remember? I, this is why I'm embarrassed. Don't I don't remember the name of okay, it. Okay, we'll find it. Um, but... I brought my friend in and we did a little dance around the book and um, <laughs> and it just was like this moment of, I think, reality. Like I think up until that point, it didn't feel like, I mean, it still doesn't feel like someone's actually out there reading my books. Like really? it's just You're such a skeptical? surreal. Yeah. And so it was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, like this is the place I've come and like I've, I've come to bookstores and like held these books like they're, you know, the whole the whole package is so precious. And now that's, you know, that's my book. And um, and I the late the woman who ran the bookstore came out to see me, and she was had read the book and was really excited about the book. And it was just it was one of the best moments of my life. It just was an incredible thing that I, I never thought would would happen for me. And I I'll, I just have such it was. Probably 11, 12 years ago, I have such a vivid memory of it. It was just an amazing 
experience. And you're in Asheville, North Carolina now? Mm -hmm. So where do you, what, there are a ton of stores there, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Malaprops is a oh, real yeah. um, cornerstone of the community in Asheville. And um, I did a, a book event there last year um, for my my last middle grade title. Um, and they're just amazing. They had a cake with the cover of the book printed oh, on lovely. it. and. There, they gave me a little goodie bag with coffee. I mean, it was just, it was just unbelievable. And um, there, that's an incredible, incredible store and a, an incredible anchor um, for our community in Asheville. Yeah, oh, that's terrific. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. Thanks for listening. All of the books you've heard mentioned here are available at your independent bookstore. And if you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents.